0: Today, a longtime agent and friend of O.J. Simpson says O.J. did it and that he helped O.J. get away with murder. We'll interview him. And Barack Obama is claiming family values and asking Republicans not to criticize his wife's public comments. Is that fair? We'll discuss it. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one
2: small step for man, one
0: giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what
1: the meaning of the word is.
0: Yes. And the people who knock these
3: buildings
4: down will hear all of us soon.
2: We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail.
0: Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit
5: Do you remember that statement that's defense attorney johnny cochran his famous words in his closing arguments to the jury in the oj simpson case thank you very much for joining us ladies and gentlemen i am penna dexter dr johnson is away from the studio today but who can forget the oj simpson trial uh oj of course uh accused of murdering his ex-wife nicole brown simpson and also Ron Goldman, and uh, we watched, at least if you are old enough to remember this, some of our listeners I know possibly are not or weren't paying attention to then, but we watched as the police followed O.J. for three hours, take him into custody at his home on Rockingham Drive in Brentwood, California, and, uh, of course, uh, many of us were shocked uh, after the trial. We watched the trial, which seemed to go on forever, and then the acquittal of O.J., and now his longtime friend, former agent, says that O.J. confessed to him 10 years ago, and we're going to talk with Mike Gilbert. He's written a book about all this called How I Helped O.J. Get Away With Murder, and uh, we're going to interview him later in the program. That ought to be a very interesting interview. Well, speaking of trials, uh, here is another verdict that's actually a good one.
0: The justices in a 7-2 ruling rejected concerns that the law could also apply to mainstream movies that depict adolescent sex, classic literature, or even innocent emails that describe pictures of grandchildren. In his opinion, Justice Antonin Scalia says First Amendment protections do not apply to offers to provide or request to obtain child pornography. Justice David Souter, in his dissent, says it goes too far because even the promotion of images that are not real children engaging in pornography still could be prosecuted under the law. Tim McGuire, Washington.
5: All right, this is a verdict by the United States Supreme Court. They did uphold criminal penalties for possessing child pornography. Now, this upheld a part of a 2003 law that also prohibits possession of child uh, porn. And a little history, back in 2002, the court struck down key provisions of a 1996 child porn law Because they were calling into question legitimate, educational, scientific, or artistic depictions of youthful sex. And, of course, this is always the argument. It's sort of a free speech, uh, free expression type of argument. So I think the uh, Supreme Court actually made uh, the right decision. Uh, This was a case that surrounded a man named Michael Williams. And it was an undercover operation aimed at fighting child exploitation on the Internet. And uh, this Williams was uh, then engaged by a Secret Service uh, agent in an internet chat room. They swapped non pornographic photographs, and Williams advertised himself as dad of a toddler and has good pictures to swap of your toddler picks, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty disgusting to think about the case. Uh, he was also convicted of possession of child porn, and that conviction in the resulting five-year term was not challenged, and they found lots of child porn on his computer. So that's some good news. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, also talking about the presidential campaign, I guess a question we have to ask you, and you can start calling in on this, is is the wife of the presidential candidate immune from any criticism of her comments if she makes them on the campaign trail. Because Michelle Obama has made uh, some pretty strong statements. Let's hear the one that's most famous.
4: For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country.
5: That is Michelle Obama, and uh, that quote was actually uh, placed in an ad by the Tennessee Republican Party and really targeting these comments. Now, Barack Obama on Good Morning America this morning, sitting there with his wife Michelle, says that this type of ad, just airing these comments by his wife, is unacceptable. Is it or is it fair game? We'd love to hear from you. Is it fair to air the comments of a candidate's wife, comments such as just uh, we just played for Michelle Obama? Is that fair or is that an attack? on The Candidate's Wife and Unacceptable. We'd love to hear from you on this, 800-881-9270. Let's go now to uh, part of uh, the appearance by Barack Obama and his wife, Michelle, on Good Morning America this morning.
2: The GOP, should I be the nominee, uh, I think can say whatever they want to say about me, my track record. If they think that they're going to try to make Michelle an issue in this campaign, uh, they should be careful uh, because... Uh, that I find unacceptable. Uh, the, the notion that you start attacking my wife or my family. Uh, you know, Michelle is the most honest, the best person I know. Uh, she is one of the most uh, caring people I know. She loves this country. And for them to try to distort or to play snippets of her remarks in ways that are unflattering to her, I think is is just low class. Uh, and I think the, most of the American people would think that as well. Whoever is in charge of the Tennessee GOP uh, needs to think long and hard about the kind of campaign that they want to run, and I think that's true for everybody, Democrat or Republican.
4: We're trusting that the American voters are ready to talk about the issues and not talking about the things that have nothing
2: to do with making people's lives better. But I also think these folks <laughs> should lay off my way.
5: All right, uh, joint interview there. And what was left out, uh, but was actually some of the words of Barack Obama during this interview. He talked about how he didn't like the idea that uh, her comments were being distorted or snippets of them were being played. And he always uses that word snippet to say that what was played wasn't true. But he also said, and I'm quoting in this interview especially for people who purport to be promoters of family values, who claim that they are protectors of the values and ideals and the decency of the American people, to start attacking my wife in a political campaign, I think is detestable. What he is saying is Republicans say they're the candidates of family values. If you have family values, you shouldn't go after his wife, even if she makes comments that really call into question her own patriotism. We'd love to hear from you on this. Frank is in Little Elm. Frank, thanks for calling in.
3: Uh, Hi, Bennett. Thanks for taking my call. What do you
5: think? Is it fair game to play Michelle Obama's comments in a GOP ad?
3: I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely do think that's fair game, and the reason why is because she effectively is a campaign a worker. She's a to me, she's no different than a you know someone on board his plane that is representing the campaign, making statements. I mean, historically, um, you know, Michelle Obama happens to be one of the few that have made such blatant comments. I mean, I can look back at Laura Bush. I don't remember her saying anything like that. Marilyn Quayle, go back in history and. I mean, this to me, this is, this is an incredibly, to me, an unpatriotic comment to make, and yet she somehow wants to be exempt from criticism. They always seem to play the card that says, you know, we need to stick to the issues. But when you say for the first time that you feel really proud of your country, my goodness, when did not you feel pretty proud of your country? Is it because of your husband running now all of a sudden you feel proud of your country? I mean, to me, she's fair game. She really okay. is
5: Thanks Frank I appreciate sure. that And you know Last Friday When we were talking About Barack Obama uh, We talked about his rules He seems to have Some special rules With regard to The way people Can talk about him And it applies to this He's made a special rule In a sense To say that his wife Even though she's talking On the campaign trail Cannot be criticized And her exact words Cannot be shown On an ad Or that is considered An attack Let's go now To Bob and Terrell Bob what do you think About this
3: uh, Yes Benna uh, Michelle Obama is fair game because uh, she represents Ob- uh, Obama because she works for his campaign, and she knows she's with Obama every day and uh, 24 hours a day. And uh, not only has she said that it's the first time she's been ever proud of America, she has also said that America is a mean country. She has. So she is all- fair game and uh if obama don't like it too bad we'll buy him a rubber duck to take a bath with Ooh. and also uh maybe he can uh, maybe he can go to the negotiation table with the republican party about it
5: well yeah that's true i suppose they could talk to the republican party about it and sit down with them but in a sense uh she is given a free pass if uh, he's allowed to be her protector and stop the party from airing uh those comments by her. Let's go now to Sharon in San Angelo, listening on KCRN. Sharon, thanks for calling in.
4: Thank you. Um, Michelle Obama, I fully think that she is fair game. Her comments are fair game. The reason why she is a prospective First Lady of the United States of America. She needs to be proud of our country. So does our future president. Those reflect his family values to me. And uh, it is about family values, and it's about character, and it's about patriotism. So I think she needs to um, be re- what she's going to reflect as First Lady. Thank
5: it, you. It's really, uh, if she uh, is going to be protected from being quoted or or videotaped and shown in an ad, then she just shouldn't be out there because it's fair game. Susan is in Dallas. Susan, thanks for calling in. Hi, I
4: kind of agree with Sharon. Um, for the same reasons she's going to be the first you know she's trying vying to be the first lady but in addition if obama doesn't like the fact that he's under the microscope and his family's under the microscope how's he going to handle that as a president i mean president bush's family is under the microscope and every other president in the nation has had to endure those, that kind of scrutiny with their family so she's representing him and on the campaign trail and her comments you know, as a prospective First Lady should be, you know, she should be held accountable for them. So I agree with Sharon.
5: Thank you very much. I appreciate your call, Susan. And uh, if you've got a comment on this, there's still a little bit of time to call in 800-881-9270. And, uh, you know, Bill Clinton's been out there on the campaign trail and Hillary to her credit, has not said uh, that he was not fair game for criticism. He's taken a lot more criticism than uh, Michelle Obama has, even from inside the Democrat Party. Uh, But ladies and gentlemen, um, I think another issue that needs to be brought up is the fact that uh, when Bill Clinton ran for president and uh, Hillary Clinton was his wife, she ended up being a fairly powerful first lady when it came to appointments, uh, when it came to policy, and uh, then she ended up becoming a United States senator, and uh, she also uh, ended up running for president herself. So to say that uh, Michelle Obama is just a little wife that needs to be protected, I think is a little disingenuous when we've got this history, and we've got a very strong uh, woman in uh, the form of Michelle Obama. Let's go to Anna in Arlington. Anna, thanks for calling in.
4: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Well, uh, I have two things to say. I really love that uh Barack Obama is coming out like a champion for his wife, you know, to defend her under all this. That that's great. I love that part. But it's it's all fake. She is possibly, you know, going to be a first lady. She's running for that position. She needs to start understanding what she's out there saying. And he needs to be accountable. For are you an Obama needs. fan
5: or are you an Obama fan?
4: Oh no, <laughs> well, I am, but not politically. Okay, in, in a time, you know I do not plan to vote for him. It's just not the candidate that uh, would represent my Christian values or my moral values as well. But yes he's accountable. The whole family is accountable for what they're saying. All I, right. I don't even understand that. I thought it was cute and sweet of him to say that you know, make her feel good. But no, no, she needs to be careful what she is saying. And if she needs to put out that she is going to be our first lady, then she needs to assure us that she is proud of this country and has always been and will always be no matter what, you know, political views. She
3: yeah, she We
5: haven't heard that yet. Anna, thanks so much for calling in. She is a strong wife and she does overrule her husband on various things. Like I understand they're talking about when they're going to get a dog. And, uh, you know he's not so sure, and uh, she is sure that they will be getting one for the girls. She even told them that on national TV. So uh, we've got a strong candidate's wife, and uh, I don't think I think she ought to be able to fight her own battles, even with the Republican Party. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going to switch gears now, and thank you for calling in. Uh, but we're going to now go on to the issue of O.J. Simpson. As a matter of fact, Mike Gilbert, uh, who was a former agent of OJ will join us next. Stay with us. If you're looking
0: for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. college today for information about the upcoming term call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to chriswill.edu. that's chriswill.edu you're listening to jerry johnson live now here's penna dexter everything
1: this man does is consistent with innocence
5: Uh, That, again, is defense attorney Johnny Cochran uh, telling the O.J. Simpson jury that uh, everything he did showed he was innocent. And uh, we're going to talk about the O.J. Simpson case. Of course, uh, that verdict came down, what, about 10 years ago, Uh, maybe even more than that. I don't even remember the year, but I certainly remember the whole uh, case. Uh, And if you aren't old enough to have been watching, then you don't know that the nation was really watching. All eyes were on this O.J. Simpson case. Some of us were former O.J. Simpson fans. I know that uh, I used to go to the uh, USC football games because my parents took me there when I was going through uh, school and I ended up actually going to that university uh, a while after he was gone Uh, but he was a legend and then of course he was a pro football player and famous in many other ways and uh, you know he really disappointed the nation in a sense with some of his activities Um, a lot of people don't believe uh, that he was innocent even though a jury said that he was and uh, now A friend of his, longtime friend, sports agent Mike Gilbert, says that O.J. Simpson did it and that he told him so. And he's written a book about it, How I Helped O.J. Get Away With Murder. And before I bring him in, though, uh, let's just listen uh, to this piece of audio
6: Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the State of California versus Orenthal James Simpson. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of penal code section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, further find the special circumstance that the defendant, or James Simpson, has in this case been convicted of at least one crime of murder of the first degree and one or more crimes of murder of the first or second degree to be not true. Signed, this second day of October 1995, juror 230. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is this your verdict? So say you one, so say you all. Yeah.
5: All right, it was October 1995. I was at my workplace sitting around with my co-workers, all of us not working, but watching this uh, being announced. And, of course, you heard in the background the sound of the victim's families crying. A lot of people just couldn't understand the acquittal. Some people said it was because the case was mishandled by attorneys. Uh, but now uh, we have with us someone who knows O.J. and says that after this verdict was announced, O.J. confessed to him. And he says that he's a... Um, confident of O.J., been very close for many years, uh, and he is Mike Gilbert. Mike, thanks for joining me.
1: Uh, Thank you. Good afternoon.
5: Okay, the book is How I Helped O.J. Get Away with Murder, and uh, you really lay out this confession and a lot of other ways in which you cooperated in covering this up. It's been uh, 10 years, I understand, since O.J. confessed to you. Why did you wait?
1: Well, it's been, I guess, also... The, uh, the timeline for you. Uh, the murders were June 12th of uh, 94, and the verdict was October 3rd. They, they found the verdict or reached a verdict on 2nd and then announced it actually the morning of the 3rd.
5: Okay.
1: And why, and why so long? Um, very good question. Uh, I don't know that I ever would have uh, come out. I mean, everybody that knew me, knew uh, everything as I knew it, as as everything unfolded. The first thing I said uh, June 13th, the morning where all of us woke up and and were greeted with the same news when we turned on the TV, I had called home uh, from Yosemite and the Park and heard that Nicole had been murdered and O.J. was in handcuffs, and the first thing I said was O.J. finally did it. And not that I knew him as a murderer, but it was that month leading up to June 12th, Uh, After Mother's Day in May, uh, O.J. seemed to just spiral out of control and was very dark and removed from reality. So nothing that I would have heard on the 13th would have surprised me. Uh, You know, murder, suicide, anything uh, was very possible with O.J. at that
5: time. Okay, so you were in close contact with O.J. after the, um, the acquittal for a long time, right?
1: Yeah, I sat virtually every day with OJ uh, before, well, right after his arrest, I was one of the first people to see him after he was arrested. And then I sat with him virtually every day uh, until the morning that the verdict was read.
5: Okay. So, and he was getting darker and darker. And uh, finally, just talk about how you actually heard this confession from him. Just tell us what went down.
1: Okay, it was the, first, the first confession, that, that I call it, was during the preliminary trial, and as you had mentioned, that you had pretty much called the case as most of America. So if you go back and you remember that there was a judge before Judge Ito, uh, Judge Kathleen yes. Kennedy, who saw the prelim to see whether or not the, that O.J. would be bound over for trial or not. And during that preliminary hearing, O.J. sat and he listened to the evidence, he listened to Mark Furman and, and the other uh, experts, and the blood drops leading away from the homicide uh, scene was OJ's blood and the DNA evidence and he would look at the cut on his knuckle that, that was just a horrible, horrible cut. And he looked at me in the attorney room and he said, You know, Mike, I watch this evidence, I listen to them, this Berman guy sounds like a very honest, very credible cop. And I believe in the science of DNA, so I know that I had to have done this, but yet if I did it, wouldn't I remember having done it?
5: Did that cause so that you did, any pause when he said that to you?
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you what that did. It made it gave me something to hang my hat on, so to speak, me and other people around OJ, because we felt at that point that that he had done it, but yet he didn't remember. So I know what I initially thought was as dark as he was, at that, that more than likely he was on an antidepressant because he was very, very depressed over the uh, the breakup, because he and Nicole had been trying to put their relationship back together for a year. Um, and they had so, really
5: been fighting for most of their marriage, hadn't they?
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, everybody everybody remembers the murders as being June 12th and, and waking up on the 13th. And, and part of why I titled the book How I Helped O.J. Get Away With Murder is is there's a lot of people out there that can actually read that title and, and speak for themselves, because Nicole's first black eye was when she was 19 years old. She was just in high school and was beaten by OJ, given a black eye, and to apologize for that, he bought her a Ferrari. Uh, so there's a lot of people that helped, and, and that abuse went on throughout the marriage. She ended up uh, dying, or was, I guess I should say, was murdered when she was 34 years old. So that's a very long history of abuse in mm-hmm. a relationship.
5: Okay. All right. Uh, But, you know, I notice in the book that he actually confessed to you later, after the acquittal. He actually had a candid conversation with you, uh, and and I want to hear about that.
1: Yeah, that was after he got out of jail. It was about two months after. uh, It was still winter time because they had a rainstorm that came through L.A., and it kind of passed through, and we were sitting watching television in the, the living room. And... O.J. was getting melancholy that that particular night, and he said, Mike, I want to show you something. Come with me. So I got up, and we walked outside. It stopped raining. And of all things, he wanted to take me out and show me a tree. So we went out by the pool, and there was a tree, and he said, you know, Mike, this tree has so much history. Nicole had gone on on a crusade to save this. It was disease. We were hiring, as he called them, tree doctors that came to the house, and we spent thousands of dollars to save these trees. And, uh, he showed me where they had initials in the tree. And he went upstairs and went out on his upper balcony, uh, if you remember where the socks were and the carpet. And in the background, you can see the balcony. Well, that's where he went out on the balcony and looked out over his estate. And, and it was, it was an amazing place. He had tennis courts and basketball court. and it was just a pretty beautiful home. And, he was looking more at what wasn't there as opposed to what was there. He was looking out into the darkness, and he said, "You know, I remember all these parties. I remember the 4th of July and the weddings and the barbecues and all the laughter and happiness, and, and that's all gone, and it's never coming back. It's, it's, it's gone. And he smoked a little bit of pot, which is something that he had picked up after he got out of jail, went downstairs, and uh, he was talking about not being able to sleep and asked what I took, and there was a new, back then, a new prescription called Ambien, I told him it worked for me, and, and he asked me for some, and I, instead of giving him a, a few, I just gave him one to see if it would work or not. And he took it. And we sat. He finished off uh, his beer. And as, as reminiscent as he had been, as I thought that maybe he wanted to talk about June 12th. So after going over a year and a half without ever asking him and him never saying he didn't do it, I asked him what happened on June 12th. I said, O.J., what happened? What happened? the night of June 12th, and he came out and asked me what I thought happened. And then you take a breath, and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, or not, but I took a breath, and I just kind of thought, do you give a pat answer that all his friends and associates gave, or do you really tell him what's in your heart? And I chose to do the letter. And I told him, O.J., I've always thought that you did it. From the morning I found out that Nicole had been murdered, the first words I said were, you finally did it. So I don't know if you, if you really know if, uh, if it's something that just happened, if you went there to kill her, but I do absolutely believe you murdered her. And I told him that he, I, I knew that he had told Al Cowen, that's if you remember, who drove the mm-hmm. white broth. We've her, got
5: about 30 way. seconds in this segment.
1: Okay, and I told him, I said, well, the, uh, the, uh, you told AC that you went, but you didn't take a knife. And he says, that's right, that he went. And if Nicole wouldn't have opened the door with the knife, she'd still be alive.
5: Is that, is that it? That's his confession?
1: He said that if she had not opened the door, that, he would, that she would still be alive.
5: All right. We're going to continue this conversation with Mike Gilbert. Uh, his book is How I Helped O.J. Get Away With Murder. We're going to find out about the ensuing years, why Mike covered it up and uh, didn't uh, bring this to light before. And uh, we hope you'll stay with us for that.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter.
1: Everything this man does is consistent with innocence. He finds out. He gets the first thing smoking. He comes back here. He goes right to his residence. He talks to the police. He goes downtown with the police. He goes in a room with the police. He has his finger photographed. He gives blood. His lawyers are off someplace else. That's what this man did on June 13th. They weren't there then. That's what he did, consistent with innocence.
5: Defense attorney Johnny Cochran did a good job of defending O.J. Uh, He was acquitted, uh, but now we learn from longtime friend and agent Mike Gilbert uh, that O.J. confessed to him and uh, says that he uh, did not go possibly with a knife to kill his wife, Nicole, but she had one, and uh, basically, I guess the implication here, Mike, is that uh, he used it on her. And uh, I just... Right. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, he, that was his, his partial confession, because I believed for the longest time that why would you tell half of, half of the truth? Uh, but after I, I really started thinking about it, and, and I realized that every 911 call that Nicole ever made was Nicole's fault, it was never O.J.'s fault, and even up until her death, he could not take that responsibility. It still had to be her fault. If she wouldn't have opened the door with the knife, she'd still be alive. And, and I believed it, but yet, um, that all changed. And if you go back and you remember Mark Furman testifying about the empty box knife that he found in O.J.'s bathroom, uh, that was a Swiss Army lockback knife, and that knife was never found and all of the wounds on the victims were consistent with that knife blade, the, uh, the depth of the, of the wounds and, uh, just the point in general. So I believe that he went there that night, uh, and she didn't open the knife. I believe he went there. He went in disguise. He had his knit cap. He went with gloves. Um, and he took the knife. Mm-hmm. He went there for one reason. That was to kill Nicole.
5: All right. Now, one other—I know that you were part of uh, helping him in certain ways. And one thing that you have admitted in the book is that uh, the whole uh, issue of the bloody gloves that didn't fit his hand—the the the sort of, uh, I guess, hiding of that—was your idea. So, tell us about that.
1: Well. the way that unfolded, and, and I had no idea that Johnny would create a jingle. If it doesn't fit, you must quit. and right. I'll remember that now. But but my concern really kind of wasn't whether or not the glove would fit, because I've always thought that you could take any glove, and if you hold your hand a certain way, it's not going to fit. You could take that glove and try to put it on a, a five-year-old, and it wouldn't fit if they held their hands just right. My concern was actually with the way that he approached putting the gloves on once he was asked. I was worried about his facial facial expressions, his movements. And I said, OJ, those jurors and everyone in the courtroom and everybody sitting at home watching that on television will watch every part of your body language. They will look at your face. They will look at your eyes to see how you react. And if you don't react the way they think you should, or the way that they would react. If they were putting on gloves, they said, those gloves held the knife that killed your ex-wife. They have her blood on them, OJ. If you don't act appropriately, you're guilty in their mind. And yeah, and that was my, my thought and comment to him. And then as a throwaway line, I said, Juice, if you're worried about the gloves fitting or not fitting, all you have to do is not take your arthritis medicine or don't take aspirin. And the implication, of course, was that, that if you've known anybody with severe arthritis, if they don't take something for that, their joints become inflamed and, and they will swell up and right. so forth. So that was the implication. But seriously, my, my belief wasn't anything about whether they fit or, or didn't fit. It was, it was totally and completely with his expressions from the time you walked over there to put them on.
5: If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. All right, it's a famous saying. All right, Todd, uh, this has been, you know, a little depressing and negative, and I want to ask you, because you must have Sorry. written the book for a reason, uh, and um, what is what do you hope comes out of the fact that you have now uh, exposed his confession to you?
1: Well, I hope that people read half that, because, of course, you know, that is what people are keen in on is the confession, and, and, and it shouldn't have been really a surprise. I mean, people that were around, the press people that I knew, they knew that I had that connection to O.J. In fact, I was the last person that left the jail the, uh, the night before the verdict. What prompted me to do this was last year when he wrote his book and he, he set up a scummy corporation. I had already separated uh, and severed all ties with O.J. Why? Almost three years ago. Why? I, was, I felt that he was given a gift. In fact, it was an absolute gift from that jury. He had an opportunity to go back and have his life again and to do the things that maybe he had neglected and that he should focus on, and that was being a really good dad, especially to Sydney, uh, you know, the daughter that he had with Nicole, and be productive, be a good member of society, and just be a good person. Uh, and instead of taking that opportunity, which, my gosh, all of us probably wish we could go back and relive segments of our lives he had that chance, and instead of doing that, he became the worst of what everybody in America thought he was and was capable of. His current girlfriend called 911 several times on him. His his young daughter Sydney called 911. It, it's just mm-hmm. this repeated behavior, and I told him that I was done. I said, "OJ, you blew it. You had a chance to relive your life and make up for all the garbage that you've done in the past, and instead you act like a 24-year-old rookie in the NFL. I'm tired of spinning." half-truths for you and trying to make you look good when you do nothing to help yourself. How
5: do you feel about your own role in this? Um, I mean, is this book partially to kind of help make up for that?
1: Well, I'll tell you what it was. I, uh, I couldn't be harsh on O.J. and not really saying that same uh, amount of justice on myself. So I had to look at myself in the same way. And, and what I did, uh, Penna, is I went back and I pulled my desk calendars where I had written mileage and I had written everything, who testified, what OJ said about this person and what we did in jail that day. Because I sat with him, like I said, a year and a half in jail. And I saw in reading that where I made my first misstep and then my second. And then once you make you know a mistake, you make another one and a bigger one. And I just saw where I went so far away from what I should have done and the person that I, I wished that I could have been. Um, and I had to, if, if I was going to expose O.J., I had to expose myself. And uh, it, that was very difficult to do. When you relive all those mistakes that you made, and you can't change them, all you have to do is read them and remember what you did. And I remember thinking, my gosh, how did my, how did my dad, how did my mom not beat me over the head and just say, Michael, what are you doing? And and I let myself down, and I let my, my wife and my kids Are
5: down. you hoping the book somehow... Get you back some forgiveness from these folks,
1: you know more than i I can never expect to be forgiven by the Goldmans ever What about
5: um, your they, own family you know, or the public
1: and, and you know the public again they don't they don't know me if if they can read only one chapter, read the last one, read the reflections chapter because that's really the rest of the book is is leading up to what I want to say in the reflections and um, what do I hope to get? I hope that um, I can have uh, peace of mind again, because that's, uh, I've been asked in interviews for 14 years, what do you miss most? Is it the money? Is it, the, is it private jets? What is it that you miss? And it's easy to answer. It was the peace of mind and that self-respect that I had before.
5: And do you think but you can get...
1: That's really cool.
5: What about, uh, you know, because really, God is the one that can give us peace of mind, and uh, in a sense... Uh, what about that? I mean, do you think that uh, this book might help you with uh, with that?
1: Well, I think in order to be able to do that, and then, of course, I have a lot of family that lives in Texas. Uh, do you have a relationship with
5: God or with Christ?
1: Yes, and and interestingly enough, a hotel that I was staying at last week during the, uh, uh, the okay. launch of the book, my sister-in-law lives down in Katy, Texas, and she sent me a message with a scripture to read. And of all the times to be in a hotel that didn't have a Bible, it would be the week that I'm launching the book. And so she sent me the uh, the scripture, and, and and it helps. But yet, I and I know that that's the main, uh, the only way that you really ever truly forgive. And I don't expect the Browns of the Goldmans to ever forgive me. I don't uh, expect.
5: What about God? For my,
1: you know, God absolutely because. Um, it's been a long journey and that's one person that has seen the journey and knows inside of my heart I mean I can I can I can lie I can be okay, why do you think,
5: think he'll I forgive you why do you think God would forgive you? Uh,
1: because there's there's uh, true remorse there's
5: repentance
1: and uh, I, I don't think that it's ever too late if you're sincere and you're honest
5: all right well let me just be clear uh, just to here at the end of the segment I thank you for for joining us today and telling the story. But, you know, the public may have been wronged, and uh, you may have done some good by writing the book and coming clean here. Uh, But the forgiveness that you can get from God would be because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. You know, we all sin. Every human being sins. And if you want the forgiveness and peace with God, the peace, uh, Mike, that you've said that you want, you can have it because of Christ's death on the cross. I want to make sure you understand that before I let you go. Uh, he says I in do. his word, as many as received him, to them he gives a right to become children of God. And so, Mike, uh, if you have not received him, and I can say this to others listening, too, if you have not received Jesus Christ, you can. And then you can receive that forgiveness for sin. There's nothing that, can you, uh, do that you can do that's too uh, bad, too disgusting of a sin to get God's forgiveness because Christ paid the penalty for that. And Mike, O.J. could also be forgiven, as bad as his sins were, if he would come to Christ. So if you ever get a chance to share that with him, that would be a good thing.
1: Thank you, I, I appreciate
5: that. Mike Gilbert, thanks for joining us today, and uh, you know, we just pray that you will continue to pursue a relationship with the Lord. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, next up, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, decision that the California Supreme Court made on marriage.
0: That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter.
5: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Thank you so much for... uh joining us today. We appreciate it. I'm sitting in for Dr. Johnson. And uh, it was interesting to interview Mike Gilbert. Now, there have been other uh, critics out there, uh, the current attorney of O.J. Simpson, for instance, who have said that uh, the facts in Mike Gilbert's book aren't exactly true and that he's in it for the money. But he does say uh, in his foreword that all proceeds from this book are going to charity. And uh So he's made that clear up front, and I'm sure people will be, you know, following that. Uh, But one of the things he said in his book is that uh, he was a Judas, in a sense, and uh, comparing himself to Judas. And, uh, you know, the difference, I hope, with Mike and Judas is that Judas died in his sin. And um, I'm hoping and praying that that short uh, word of encouragement for him to uh, know the Lord would... uh, you know, at least encourage him to look further into that if he has not. It was just a little bit hard to tell uh, from what he said whether or not he has a relationship with Christ. But, uh, you know, my prayer is uh, that he would and that the people that are in his life that are giving him scripture verses would share the fact that, you know, there's no sin worse than another in God's eyes. We're all sinners and we all deserve death. And uh, that Christ died for sinners, and uh, that he has uh, actually paid the penalty for the sin of his people. And, uh, you know, in order for us to know the Lord, uh, we must trust Christ. And those who believe in that death and who appropriate it for themselves and who uh, basically uh, look to Christ for forgiveness and believe and trust can be saved. And Lord, uh, you know, we just pray right now together, those of us in the audience and and also myself, that Mike would understand that right now and that O.J. Simpson would do so. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on to another issue that is addressed in the Bible. And, of course, it's uh, God's institution, and that's the institution of marriage. It's under attack right now. And the latest battle has been in the California Supreme Court, and there's been a setback for marriage. And so, you know, it's interesting. We haven't heard a whole lot of commentary on this from the campaign trail, and you wonder if there will be, Uh, but we have in the past. In fact, uh, last summer there was a forum with uh, all the presidential candidates, because there were a lot of them, uh, the Democrat candidates back then, uh, at the human rights campaign. And uh, they were allowed to ask questions of these candidates. And one of the questions that was asked Barack Obama was whether he would support same-sex marriage. Uh,
2: I will tell you that I don't believe in gay marriage, Um, uh, but I do think that uh, people who are gay and lesbian should be treated with dignity and respect and that the state should not discriminate against them. So uh, I believe in civil unions that allow a uh, same-sex couple to visit each other in a hospital or uh, transfer property to each other. Uh, I don't think it uh, it should be called marriage, but I think that it is a legal right that they should have that is recognized by the state. If people find that controversial, uh, then I would just refer them to the Sermon on the Mount, um, which I think you know is, for, in my mind, for my faith, uh, more central than uh, an obscure passage in Romans.
5: Well, we've uh, desecrated that statement before, but uh, the civil unions that he mentions aren't just visiting rights in hospitals. Uh, There's a lot more to it. In fact, a civil union, by definition, and they really exist in, I think, Connecticut and, for sure, Vermont, and domestic partnerships, which are sort of like civil unions, pretty much all the benefits of marriage except the name marriage. That's what a civil union is, and that's what Barack Obama says he supports. Now, John McCain hasn't been quite as clear on this, but this is what he says about uh, the benefits of marriage.
3: I think uh, I think that gay marriage should be allowed if there's a ceremony kind of thing, if you want to call it that. I, I don't have any problem with that.
5: Uh, I guess he's talking about a a commitment ceremony, and John McCain uh, has stood against an amendment to the United States uh, Constitution to define marriages between a man and a woman but he said every state should be able to pass such an amendment california is trying to pass it uh, in the aftermath of this decision last week uh, in the california supreme court which allows for same-sex marriage it basically says that the california constitution would be discriminating uh... against homosexuals if they did not allow same-sex marriage and that's uh... what i want to talk to you about for a moment uh, ladies and gentlemen because of the fact that in california there is a very, very strong domestic partnership law, which gives, as I said, all the benefits of marriage. And really that court decision is based on the fact that that law exists. And that's why those domestic partnership laws or passing benefits of marriage for homosexual couples leads to same-sex marriage. It's not a substitute, as many people would say. Well, let's give them the benefits of marriage, but not call it marriage. At least they're not married, quote-unquote. At least it's not diluting marriage. It is. Uh, and Ernest Istook, who is a former congressman from Oklahoma, has made this point very clear in an article that he wrote right after Uh, This decision came down. He calls it the danger in appeasing gay rights activists, and he says that the law was just a plaything to the California Supreme Court, and the justices actually twisted logic into a pretzel when they uh, legalized same-sex marriage. Last week, uh, the court's decision was, was announced. But he says the court exposed the danger by creating wishy-washy or created by wishy-washy lawmakers who pushed these civil unions or these domestic partnerships as a middle ground compromise. They're not, he says. He says it's actually appeasement and it's deadly. In fact, he says it was the very existence of such laws that the justices used in their language to justify their decision for marriage. By trying to appease homosexual rights activists, those who have refused to stand up for traditional marriage have helped to create the court ruling. And he calls them the Neville Chamberlains of the Cultural Wars because California's court decreed that society cannot have a separate but equal matchmaking plan for same-sex couples. So the fact that California actually had some kind of a matchmaking plan, which was the domestic partnership laws, Four same-sex couples was used in the decision to say that is a separate but equal plan. It's not marriage. It's not fair. And it's not constitutional. And so they said the Constitution requires same-sex marriage to be legal in the state of California. Now, of course, as we know, this ignored the will of 61% of American voters who said marriage is one man and one woman back in 2000. And hopefully it will be uh, remedied by an amendment to the Constitution, which uh, they are now working on in California. But it's very clear that there is a danger across the country, as states consider these benefits of marriage to be given to homosexual couples, that this actually is not a substitute for gay marriage, but that it actually leads to the, uh, the des- denigration of marriage laws in states across the country. So, ladies and gentlemen, we need to beware of this appeasement. We talk about appeasement of our enemies overseas. There's also an appeasement of an agenda that would actually destroy an institution that does our society so much good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow we're going to interview Guy Sorman. He is a former advisor to the Prime Minister of France. He's written a book about China, the truth about China in the 21st century. Join us then.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.